Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey everybody, it's your girl Jessie Mae. This is the Sharp Tongue Podcast. Me and my intro co-host, what's your name? You don't want to say your name? Prima. <laughs> That's my niece, everybody. She's a little shy, which I don't know where the heck she gets that from because this family is anything but shy. Do you want to say anything to everybody? No. No? Do you want to tell them what it's like hanging out with me? No? Nothing? No. You can say anything. You don't have to be shy. nothing okay well she might have a career uh, as a stripper I'm just kidding you'll never be a stripper you're way too smart and your dad you have a really good dad I might cut that out just so my brother-in-law is not mad at me I might keep it just to keep the holidays interesting everybody thank you for another week with the grief survival guide this is episode four and we're getting into genius grief this episode is how to grieve grieve like a genius have I been sad because of mammy Yes. What did you do? It's a little preview for next week's episode. Tell them what you did when I was sad. Uh, we helped you on the bed. You did. Remember when I cried on your lap? What'd you do? Uh, I helped you not be cry. You helped me not cry. That's right, because you're so sweet. That really happened. And it's just, I, I wanted you guys to know that not all kids make you want to claw your eyes out, but all kids make you want to claw your eyes out. You see how that works? Because they're just as crazy as they are cute. You are so cute, but you're also so crazy. (laughs) This episode, we get into how to live healthy, how to eat healthy, how to grieve healthy, and also how to be kind to yourself. I was really excited to be able to sit down with this gentleman. Before I tell you who it is, please make sure you go over to the YouTube page to watch the video. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Jessie Mae Peluso. Also, you guys have to buy my butthole candles. They are live and on the web store. 
the web store, the website store. It's jessiemade.com forward slash store. You can get our beautiful butthole candles that smell like vanilla and aged leather. And it really just makes your whole house smell like my butthole. And I couldn't be happier. I'm so, so proud. And make sure you guys also check out 7th Avenue Candle. Shout out to 7th Avenue Candle for hooking up the candles for me. It is a family-run, female-owned business out of Florida. Probably my favorite thing out of Florida. Probably my only favorite thing out of Florida. Just kidding. You guys have a lot of fun stuff. Like Tara Reed. Is she from there? I don't know. I'll have to Google some more fun Florida facts. But besides that, thank you guys. This is going to be a really informative episode. Very lucky to be sitting down talking to this gentleman who's so busy spreading the good genius word. New York Times bestselling author of The Genius Life and also of Genius Foods, as well as host of The Genius Life podcast. Please give it up for Disney villain Max Lugaver. Well, it's actually Lugaver, but I said Lugaver, and now I can't get it out of my head. But either way, it's going to be a great episode. Hope you enjoy it. Say thank you. Thank you. Say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Say buy my butthole candle. Oh, she wouldn't say that. Rude. Sharp Tongue Podcast. Beep, 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 beep. You're listening to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse May Jessie Peluso. Peluso. It's a personal look. Well, it's not really a look because it's a podcast. I'm already fucking this up. This is kind of like a verbal comedy diary, a deep look into the crevices of my mind. It's going to get dirty. You might cry. You'll probably laugh. Hopefully you'll laugh. The whole point is for you to laugh, but you also might cry. I talk about my family. I talk about farts. farts. I talk about love, loss, comedy, how hard it is to make it in this biz. I'm a fucking professional. Each week it's something different. Sometimes I have a guest host. Sometimes it's going to be a movie companion episode. Sometimes I just ramble about the bullshit I dealt with the week before. You never know what you're going to get. It's raw, uncut, and funny. It's me. People. People of the world. People of Christmas season. Holiday season? How do we say it so we don't offend people? Doesn't matter how you open your mouth, someone's going to be pissed off. Well, we're not here to piss you off. This episode is a continuation of the Grief Survival Guide, and I've been trying to get coordinated with this gentleman a couple times and I'm excited that he's here to talk. He is basically, you know, I consider him a health guru. I have most of the Instagram pictures I have saved. You know how you can do those like little sections where you create your own little tile of all the different things on Instagram are all of his account, (laughs) all of the posts from his accounts and ways I should eat and not eat and also helping me feel not so shitty about the choices I make and realizing that a lot of the information is misinformation. So here to clarify a lot and also talk about his own struggles and um, talk about, you know, loss and and love and trying to live a healthier life. Author of The Genius Foods, um, author of The Genius Life, and just an all-around really genius dude. Please give it up for Max Lugaver. Oh, man. Thank you so much for having me. Did I say your last name right? It sounds like a Disney villain. <laughs> you said it with a European flair, which I appreciate. <laughs> it makes me sound exotic, which uh, you know I, I can get on board with. It's it's actually Lugavir, like beer, but Lugavir. You know, I'll, t- I'll Ooh, take look it. Of, I'm going to go Lugavir. I feel like you have all the stature to maintain a Lugavir name. So we're going to go with that. <laughs> People, people will assume that I'm more interesting than I actually am, so I, I'll roll with it. Have you always been, a, like, are you a nerd? Because I'm a nerd, and I feel like you're kind of a nerd. 
Yeah. Growing up, I was a nerd. Um, hardcore. I was, uh, I was never an athlete. I was a computer programmer, self-taught and, uh, and gamer. And, um, and then when I discovered fitness and, and exercise and things like that, my brain just latched onto it. Um, because I, it, you know, I saw it as a way to transcend my shy, introverted, low confidence self back in high school. And, um, and I became kind of obsessed. Yeah. And that carried me through, you know, most of my, my early adolescent years and a couple of years ago, which I'm sure we're, we're going to get into, I, uh, found a way for better or worse to kind of work it into what I do professionally, you know, talk about talking about health and nutrition and fitness, but yeah, it all kind of stems from the fact that I am a big nerd basically. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I found you because of my own individual relationship with dementia and Alzheimer's. And, uh, I follow a lot of healthy things because of that. I being the nerd that I am, love to dig into information and improve and figure out a problem and try and solve it. So with everything with my father, that's how I found you is because, you know, why waste any time? Let's just go right into our connection because you posted a video that just went straight to my soul. I think it was a couple years ago of you and your mom dancing. Oh God. Yeah. Do you remember that video you posted? Is that how you found me? That's how I found you. Um, Wow. After my father passed, well, during the time, because I'm sure, you know, we can get into it, but with dementia, I talk a lot about mental health and and Alzheimer's on this podcast. It's not a very short process. It's a lengthy thing. So you sort of have time to deal with stuff and learn things. So in that process of my father being sick, I was just reading books and trying to find ways to get ahead of this and and learn. And and that's how I came to find you is because Instagram, although, you know, you have your fit T models portion of it, there's also great information. And your that post from your mom, I was like, oh my God, this is like, <laughs> I can feel this because I'm experiencing it. And then I just went through all of your information. I was like, oh, this dude knows what the fuck he's talking about. And you found health and fitness prior to your mother becoming sick, correct? Yeah. Well, you know, as, as I mentioned, so I, I was from high school, I, I had developed a passion for nutrition, for for health, for fitness. And, you know, as I had gotten older, what was initially sort of mostly centered around how to look and feel better and be stronger kind of broadened, you know, the lens sort of widened out to include longevity and, um, you know, just, you know, overall sort of anti-aging methodologies. And then when my mother got sick in, it was about 2011, uh, that's when you know, everything basically kind of focused, you know, squarely on trying to understand to the best of my ability why this would have happened to a woman at the age at which it did. So my mom was about 58 years old when she first started to exhibit those those early symptoms of, of dementia. Um, which is and pretty so, much considered early onset. Yeah, although she didn't have um, Alzheimer's disease. She had a form of dementia. So uh, so for people that don't know, dementia is a sort of category term. It's, a, it's an umbrella term that um, includes, of course, Alzheimer's disease, which is the most common form of dementia that affects about 5 million people currently in the U.S. alone. 
Um, but underneath that umbrella, you've got vascular dementia, you've got frontotemporal dementia, you've got Lewy body dementia, you've yep. got Parkinson's d- disease dementia. So there's, you know, there's all these different variants of dementia. And even Just within- Just a bag of fun for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Oh my Pick God. Pick your dementia. It's, you get dementia. You get dementia. Yeah. <laughs> so much. It's, it's terrible. I mean, it's really the worst, as you know. Um, my mom had a condition called Lewy body dementia, which is actually like having Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's disease at the same time. It's actually what Robin, what it was revealed Robin Williams had just prior to his killing himself, um, which was, you know, so, so heartbreaking. And so my mom had that for, yeah, for many years. And, um, that video that you saw, I mean, so the, I mean, if you could consider like an even more tragic twist to the to the story, my mom uh, over Labor Day of 2018 was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer on top of the on top of the dementia. And that video was me and her dancing to one of her favorite songs in her living room. And she was dying at that point. Um, That was after the diagnosis. And she had about a three. They projected a three to six month window. Um, of time that she had left and uh and yeah it was it was the most it was the most difficult period of my life by a long shot like it was just so so tragic and traumatic and and awful you know to see you know the person that you love most in the world um declining in such a rapid uh way you know and such a relentless unstoppable and unstoppable and unforgiving and just you know it's just the the yeah, it's just it's terrible. So that was a that was a video that was just like a slice of a moment that I had with my mom. And and the irony is that and I'm sure you know this, you know, as well that like each of those little moments whether it's a 2 second long, you know, flash moment or or a, or a period of an hour or two or three um they're all so meaningful, you know, mm-hmm. and like even if it's like a nanosecond of a moment, even if it's like the way that that your loved one looks at you, you'll remember that for the rest of your life. You really will. It's I I don't know about you, but I experienced. I'm a very joyful person. I I wake up happy. I, you know, I I tend to not go too deep or too dark. I certainly have my moments, but I'm blessed in that I have a very positive outlook. But experiencing this disease. And having gone through it with my dad, it brought out such darkness in me and, 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 and anger that I didn't know that I had. Did you experience any of that? Frustration, anger, um, guilt, you know, like wondering whether there was more that I could do, whether I did everything that I could. Um, what were some of the more beautiful moments? Do you, you know, I also try to find the the miracles because you really as hard as things get once it comes to some practice you do have a choice you have a choice to focus on the grievance or the miracle in the moment what were some of the miracles going through those hard times with your mom that you remember i mean you know just the like i remember um, I mean, there, there are so many of these little moments, but I mean, you know, one, one example. So I have some friends that run a podcast uh, called Mind Pump and they're like, it's a fitness podcast and I'm friends with them. And, you know, these guys, they're all like bodybuilders and stuff, but they're the sweetest guys that I know in the space. They're like my go-to, you know, fitness dudes. And we just, we have such an incredible bond, me and the, and the Mind Pump guys. And I remember that they, 
they were they were planning some kind of event during that time and i couldn't make it obviously you know i was gonna go and then my mom you know there was that that diagnosis and i just realized that like there was no way that i was gonna be able to go to that and so they were so kind and sweet that they asked me you know what it was that my mom really loved like in life and one of the things that my mom loved more than anything else was music specifically like 60s artists like you know the rolling stones the who and things like that and so the mind pump guys bought this book this like you know coffee table book of like rock and roll photography from the 60s and they sent it to me in new york to show my mom and i just remember showing her the book and like and flipping through the pages with her and she just lit up you know she was so uh, you know, there was so much joy just, you know, emanating from her face. She, her quality of life at that point had become so diminished. Um, How but, are you able yeah. to, you know, for both of us, you know, you you being an author and a speaker and a health aficionado and running a, a successful Instagram page and all of that, that's, that takes a lot of work. And when you're going through something like that where you're basically grieving somebody while they're still alive. How did you, were you able to work? Did you have to take time off? Did it motivate you more? How did the, the grief of losing your mother affect your ability or inability to work? Such a good question. I, um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I definitely took time for myself. I remember prioritizing, not time to work necessarily, but to to practice self care. That was a mm. really important part of the of the equation for me. Um, you know, like I remember distinctly, if I didn't, if I didn't, like in those moments, you want to spend every waking second with your yes. with your loved one, right? But you can't. And and so I remember deliberately carving out time every day to get to the gym and to work out and. And I, people might think that, that that's trite, you know, like you have your whole life to go to the gym and work out. But for me, if, if I didn't take the time to go and expunge the anxiety and the frustration and the anger and the sadness that I was feeling, um, I wouldn't have made it through to the other side. I mean, work, exercise was so, so important to me. Um, I mean, it always generally is, but especially during that time, I would have gone, I would have gone insane. I mean, there was so much stress you know, I mean, it's like, yeah, the, the like the stress of like, obviously what you're going through is a very stressful period. But then on top of that, what people don't realize is that caregivers and family members, there's all kinds of other stress. There's like, there's all it's the, the amount of stress you don't even plan on showing up and also managing other people's grief becoming heavy and also not your job. There's so much that comes up in those moments. Yeah, there's infighting within the, I mean, I don't know if you have, you know, like what your situation was, what the living situation was with you and your mom, but like, you know, me and my two younger brothers and my mom's partner at the time, we were like at each other's throats all the time. Like, you know, I mean, me and my brothers were, we were there for one another. We were, we were going through it together, but you know, there's all this like end of life stuff that needs this like bureaucratic bullshit that needs to be wrapped up and taken care of. And, you know, all of that is just so, I mean, it's frustrating in normal life and it becomes exponentially more so when you're dealing with the the sickness of a loved one. Uh, you there? Yeah. Okay. We're, we're, we're still we're, here. <laughs> me yeah, and my brothers. Still... <laughs> you're at me and my yeah. brothers. 
Yeah. So me and me and my brothers, we were there for one another and we were, we were the, you know, we, we were the support network for one another, but um, you know, at the end of life, you have all of this like bureaucratic, awful stuff that, you know, you need to sort of wrap up. Um, and that's, you know, it's a, it's a hellish process dealing with that kind of stuff in, in, in normal life. You throw the sickness of a loved one onto that, on top of that, and it becomes exponentially more so. Um, oh, so it's, it's- it, it makes you the way people deal with facing any sort of end of life. You can't plan on that. You know, it, it does bring up emotions that you can't anticipate. I have three other sisters. I'm the youngest of three. So it changed our dynamic completely. And it, it also, um, you know, really isolated people's own experience with our dad like i had a amazing childhood he he was always around but my older sisters are from another marriage so they had a different connection so their grief was a little bit more traumatizing i think because they couldn't make up for lost time you know they were facing losing somebody who maybe they you know you know when you sort of hold grudges and and you get older and you you are mad at your parents for not being there and then when you face you're faced losing them that's why i talk a lot on this podcast about everyone's individual experiences with their family and and whatever their relationships are not that i'm trying to overlook any sort of trauma that someone might have experienced from their parents and in their childhood but some some of those you kind of have to just sweep away and really focus on the moment and try and be present and realize that shit happens in the past but if you allow it to muddy the waters of dealing with the current situation you're really doing a disservice to your own healing and your own ability to show up in your life beyond whatever's going to happen next once they're gone yeah Did you, i mean was your mom a good mom <laughs> she was a, oh my mom was the best mom yeah i mean my mom i wouldn't be doing what i'm what it is i'm currently doing if in in some way growing up those seeds weren't initially planted, you know, to do something that was of service to the greater public that was, you know, that, that had, you know, built into it, you know, empathy and compassion and all that is built into what I, what it is that I do. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I get to do it for a living, you know, like that's the dream, but, um, but at the end of the day, everything that I do is really about helping people get healthier and to make sense of nutrition and, and, you know, all the sort of messaging about fitness and, you know, whatever it is, um, happens to be. And so I I credit my mom for that. You know, the fact that my mom was the kindest person that I knew and valued more than anything, courage and honesty. And these are all values that I put into everything that I do. And she's the, she's the, she's the reason for that. I mean, I think part of growing, growing up is, is realizing that your parents are not gods, you know, they're not, they're, (laughs) That, that they are imperfect. And so my mom was not perfect. Um, They're just you know. dudes and chicks. They're just dudes yeah. and chicks. Yeah, exactly. That's all they are. <laughs> and, you know, they get knocked up at some point. They knock each other off. They get knocked and up and then they're like, fuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it's, that's the test, you know, like that's the test. Like my mom um, and dad, did. Uh, they, you know, they fought like crazy. You know, my mom exposed me to things that like, you know, about, about the marriage and, you know, probably was a little too emotionally codependent on me, you know, in many ways. Um, 
Were you your know, parents were together door- when your mother was sick and, and in her passing? No, they had a, they got divorced when I was 18. They fought my entire childhood and wow. You know, they st- Are but, we from the same they, family? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. I mean, it was a it was a shit show, but um <laughs> but they stayed together because they loved their children, you know, me and my younger brothers and they and they had a business together, so they stayed together for the business. Um What kind of business and, did uh, they have? Hey, my mom and my dad, they were clothing manufacturers in New York City. So they oh, were that's like, so cool. Yeah, they were like second, second or third generation uh, New York City Jews. Um, and so they they did what what most, you know, Jews at that, you know, industrious Jews did. Well, rather than become doctors or lawyers or whatever, uh, they went into the, the garment center, which in New York, it's it's been referred to as the schmata business, you know, so they got into that. <laughs> And they came from nothing. They were, you know, they were poor um, AF growing up and, uh, and, and they, but they had this like entrepreneurial drive and, um, and, you know, my mom had a thing for fashion and they created this, this women's clothing, uh, the sportswear company. And they, you know, ran that for 20 years um, together. That's hard doing that in New York. That's, that's a hard business to get into, you know, especially like as a couple. So you come from, an entrepreneurial spirit. Entrepreneur. Yeah. It's a hard word to say. Entrepreneurial. Am I saying Entre- it wrong? I mean, I've already started with your name wrong, so I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, sounds <laughs> sounds right to me. <laughs> sounds right to me. I mean, I'm uh, you know, I'm not the arbiter of uh, of proper pronunciation by any means, but I think you're doing a pretty good job. Thank yeah, you. I need your support. It's- I need your support and motivation. <laughs> It's tough. Entrepreneurship is hard. I mean, that's what you, you know, like any, any artist today, like you're an entrepreneur, you know, I've had to become an entrepreneur. I would not make it in any corporate job. I just would oh my get fired. Gosh. I would get right fired. I've, I've gotten fired. So I'm like, cool. This is like, thank you. Thank you so much. You mean I don't yeah. have to listen to you tell me how to do things, which are wrong, by the way, yeah. <laughs> all the way you do something is wrong. That's why I would never survive in corporate America. I'm too headstrong and I have my own way of wanting to do things. Now you just now you just get told how much you suck by thousands of Instagram commenters. That's what we've traded. By people who sit at home, I love you all, but some of you are real pieces of shit. Okay, some of you are real pieces of shit, and I don't hold it against you because it's vicious cycle. Sometimes you're raised by a piece of shit, and you become a piece of shit. Okay, Max and I are not here to judge you. We were raised by really great people. It's called you got to eat crow at, at you know at some point in your life whether it's through like your your singular asshole boss or from thousands of you know vitriolic uh, YouTuber Instagram commenters and Good we've chosen the, we've we've chosen the latter. So. We have you know speaking of um, you know you're talking a little bit about the food and like your health and all of that. I want to. Once before we go, I'm going to get some of your advice for people listening about grief and things like that. But I do want to jump into our food and our nutritional. Basically, like what are some of the nutritional lies that we've been fed as a society that you keep you see keep coming up? Oh man, there's so many. There's I mean, so many. There's so many. Uh, well, the notion that you need to eat, you know, six meals throughout the day to stoke your metabolic fire. I think that's, um, you know, this idea that you're, that you're supposed to be eating around the clock. I think that's been to the detriment in many ways of public health. Um, there's no need for breakfast. And in fact, earlier dinners, uh, 
Max, shit. Yeah. You know? No need for breakfast. There's no real need. I mean, consistency is is you know to some degree important um but yeah i mean there's no there's no necessity for like waking up and having that bowl of cereal or whatever it happens to be the glass of orange juice as soon as you wake up there's really yeah, no the there's no need for orange it. juice like what you might as well just suck on a sugar lick like some sort of clydesdale yeah, exactly it's just a glass yeah. of sugar just a glass of sugar more sugar in actuality than than most soft drinks um it is alarming so. i do i'm kind of excited about this idea that breakfast isn't necessary because if and when after covid we do get back to a normal life and there is some frolicking then that would give me an excuse just to kick the guy out the next morning or for me to leave like (laughs) there's no breakfast i have to go i i can't stay here there's nothing for me here there's no waffles so bye see ya yeah yeah there's no i mean you know whatever whatever works uh sorry max did i make you blush i apologize let's stay on course it's it's, um (laughs) Look, you know, whatever you got to do, you got to you got to use what you got to get what you need. Yes, exactly. So we don't Um, need breakfast necessarily. Maybe we're eating too much. We're I would say I would say what's become somewhat disordered is this notion that we're supposed to be eating around the clock. So there's this uh, burgeoning field of research called circadian biology that suggests that humans are really meant to eat during the day. We're diurnal creatures. Um, and that compressing our feeding w- window within a, a span of time, whether it's, you know, eight hours, 10 hours or 12 hours, um, as opposed to the 16 hours that most people are eating, you know, throughout the day, um, from the moment they wake up until the minute they go to bed, they're metabolizing food. Um, that by practicing what is being referred to as time-restricted eating, that there are some pretty significant metabolic benefits to be gained, whether it's, you know, an improved management of blood sugar in the body or uh, an improvement in blood pressure. Um, It seems to be the case that by compressing your eating window and spending more time in a fasted state has benefits. And they're not necessarily benefits to your weight. Um, The research on... uh, you know, on time restricted feeding. And it's not like a magic bullet for weight loss necessarily, but it seems, it seems to be beneficial from a metabolic health standpoint, um, which is important. And, and also statistically, we know from research that only about 12% of the U S population, uh, would qualify as, as, um, having good metabolic health. Damn. Yeah. Is that because the majority of us have like high blood pressure and diabetes and like all sorts of heart problems? Probably due yeah, to our exactly. nutrition, right? Yeah, and in, in, in no small in no small part due to our nutrition. But it's you know, metabolic health is basically you know, if you have good metabolic health, it's it, it's basically a term that represents a constellation of features that you want to see in somebody who's healthy. So, not a lot of visceral fat. You want to have a healthy, normal uh, blood pressure. You want to have blood sugar um, that's in a normal, you know, relatively low uh, range. You want to have um, you know a, a you know, a, a lipo, uh, a lipid profile in your blood that's healthy. So, you know, triglyceride levels that aren't very high or, you know, LDL that isn't very high and HDL that, you know, perhaps is somewhat higher. So these are all sort of like the, they're like, it's a constellation of um, signs that a physician, and I'm not a physician, uh, but it's a constellation of, of, of biomarkers that a physician would use to assess whether or not you are quote unquote metabolically healthy or trending towards metabolic syndrome or pre-diabetes or type two, two type two diabetes. 
Which sometimes, like, people can look healthy and they think that they're healthy. Like, I have a friend who's slim and fit and all these things. And it turns out he was, like, pre-diabetic and he had no idea. And it's, it's you know, I think that the further we go along in life, especially now in this society where there's so much access to information, it is hard to delineate between what is truth and what is something that's a little bit, you know, based off of someone who says something who doesn't know anything. Um there's there's it's so hard to sift through everything you know for someone like me I'm not I don't do dieting I I I try to sort of implement like what you're saying it's like an amalgamation of things that you put into your life to sort of resemble some health you know exercising and for me I realized the value of sleep through this whole process of learning a lot about mental health and and um things with uh, illnesses like Alzheimer's, like the value of sleep is something that to me, I remember this one time my agent said, if you have to sleep less to get the work done, you should. <laughs> and that's, that's so many people's mindset, like yeah. no sleep till Brooklyn. You know, I, I, when I'm, everyone else is asleep and I'm awake, I'm on the hustle. You can't hustle if you're exhausted. No. What, what no, are some yeah. of the, what's some of the science behind sleep that you found maybe that you didn't know before that you were shocked about? Well, so, I mean, sleep, it's a, it's a good question. When talking about metabolic health, I mean, first of all, metabolic health has come up a lot these days because it really seems to be the one of the major determining factors about COVID morbidity and mortality. Right. Um, so, you know, when, one of the reasons why, why we're seeing, you know, like, so much hospitalization is because by and large, we live in a sick society. Um, people have poor metabolic health and that's one of the key, it seems determining factors, uh, uh, that will, that will determine whether or not COVID takes you down or is experienced more like a flu. Right. Um, you know, and, uh, and it's just sad, you know, that, that so many of us are struggling with, with our health. But, um, one of the reasons for that is that so many of us are underslept and sleep serves as a sort of master metabolic regulator. It, it, it basically every night when you sleep, it's like, it it presses the reset button on myriad hormones in your body from insulin to leptin to ghrelin. These are hormones that, um, ghrelin. That sounds like a gremlin. That sounds like a creature. It sounds like a gremlin. It does. <laughs> yeah, ghrelin is. Um, That's a good thing. Ma- <laughs> um, well, it's it's an important hormone. It basically guides how satiated you feel. So when your stomach Ooh. is empty, yeah, the hormone ghrelin is secreted and it makes you hungry. So it drives. I feel like I got ghrelin every day, Max. I have to be honest. Like I feel. Yeah insatiable i don't know if it's because i'm currently in a grieving process that maybe i'm trying to eat my emotions but nothing is filling the gut void brother Mm. yeah we tend to reach for comfort comfort foods when we're stressed out i mean and that's okay you know whatever you gotta do to make it through um that's important uh but yeah, so I mean, sleep, you know, on just one night of poor sleep you're basically pre-diabetic the next day i mean this is temporary yeah on just one night of shortened sleep. Um, and then when it comes to the brain, you know, Alzheimer's disease, we now know that when you're sleeping, the brain actually cleanses cleanses itself of proteins that we know can aggregate and serve as the backbone for plaques that we associate with Alzheimer's disease. Um, on one night of short sleep, 
aside from the metabolic disturbance that you'll see um, in somebody, you actually see an, an, a pretty stark increase in amyloid beta and cerebrospinal fluid, as well as tau. So amyloid beta and tau are the two proteins that um, are most closely linked with, with Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, they gunk up the brain. Um, and so when you're sleeping, your brain is actually flushing these, these toxic proteins out. And that's why we believe that sleep is, or one of the reasons why we believe that sleep is so important when it comes to the prevention of conditions like Alzheimer's disease. It's, it's definitely one thing that I'm sure people listening, you know, if you don't get good sleep, you wake up and you are a demon. I like, if I don't get, I, I just, that's one thing that I have adjusted through this whole process is to really value my, I can show up better. If, if I've, if I've slept well and, you know, got the, whatever I need, like eight hours, what are you, what's your, you know, number, what's your sleep number? <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm with you. I'm like an eight hour person. You know, I like some people say, claim that they can get by on, on reduced sleep six hours. I'm like, no, thank you. You know, no, I go to bed you. six hours for the birds. Yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> um, no, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I definitely, I, I thrive on, on good sleep. It's, it's super important. I had a um, debate with my sister recently about, and I've had this debate with other people, about um, the availability of healthy food and it sort of playing a role in a systemic issue where people who live in bad neighborhoods, low-income neighborhoods, they don't tend to have the greatest restaurants, this is just from my own personal experience. I've lived in, you know, many neighborhoods that were dangerous and, and low income on my way up when I was living in New York City. I did the broke girl circle all around Manhattan, you know, <laughs> and there's just the KFCs and the McDonald's and all the drive throughs and all those fast foods. And to me, I find they tend to be in these lower income areas and, and that, that, you know, type of person seems to suffer a lot with illnesses and disease and all of that. Do you think there's any correlation between the environment you live and your ability to eat healthy? Or is this something that people should just know to do? Mm. Yeah, that's, it's a really good question. And it's a very important question. And yeah, you're right. I mean, these these fat these junk food manufacturers and fast food companies they all um, practice predatory marketing, and they aim specifically for these like low income you know people, which tend to be people of color, minorities, um, you know, marginalized communities. Yeah. And uh, and it's and it's super problematic. I mean, I, I see. I think that one of the major barriers is is truly education. Yes. Um, you know, we all have. Uh, access to the internet these days, you know, we have access to a TV and, and I think at the end of the day, people need to, um, like good information can really change the way that a person operates, you know, knowledge is power. And even in low income areas, I think it's possible to eat healthily. You just have to know how to do it. You know, I think, you know, when it comes to buying things like orange juice, which we talked about earlier, or, or, you know, sodas, sugar sweetened beverages, which are a major, you know, like uh, linchpin in the obesity epidemic. Um, for many people, I think it's just knowing to avoid those things, you know, and to save your money that you would otherwise spend on those things and put it towards higher quality food. We also live in a time where thanks to the internet, we have all kinds of like 
shipping services right now, whether it's, you know, Amazon, you know, or uh, these smaller companies now that have like subscription, you know, they'll send the highest quality meat possible to you, no matter right. where in the country you happen to be. So, I mean, we live in a, an amazing time where I think access is becoming like less of an issue, but we still need to penetrate those areas with with knowledge and information. And that's where, you know, I'm so grateful when I get to come onto various podcasts like yours, you know, that that are reaching people that aren't necessarily tapped into the the nutrition sphere on social media. Right. You know, so it's a way to sort of Which like is huge. Yeah. It's, it's there. <laughs> if you guys want to start somewhere, start with Max's page and then go from there. Just trust me on this one. Because you also like the one thing that I love seeing when you post like don't feel guilty about eating f- you know fat, meat, salt you know, the list yeah. of things that you've been told to avoid, you know, you have a very healthy outlook on uh, people's idea of how they should limit what they're eating, you know. Um, but you made me think of something that I remember. Speaking of education, can you educate me on, there's a word, glutathione? Yeah, what the, I, you, I, according to you and things I've read, it's like gangster. What is it? It's pretty gangster. It's the body's master <laughs> antioxidant and detoxifier. Okay. Um, and that, that we produce. We produce it in our liver. Uh, we produce it, um, you know, all around the body. Uh, and it's basically an antioxidant. So people take, you know, they're familiar with antioxidant vitamins like vitamin C and things like that. Um, but it's it's the most powerful antioxidant that your own body makes. We also eat it to some degree in food. Like uh, gl- they found glutathione in pretty high uh, concentration in certain mushrooms. Um, but yeah, like porcini like mushrooms, shrooms, like going out into the woods and kind of like seeing Jesus type of shrooms or like shiitake. I don't know. I don't know about those kinds of <laughs> shrooms, although those provide other value, you know, certainly, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the porcini, the portobello, um, they're also quote unquote medicinal mushrooms like lion's mane and cordyceps. I'm a big, I'm a big mushroom fan. Um, so it I turns out too. that yeah, they're great. Um, but yeah, so glutathione is like, it's a, it's an antioxidant that, um, your body basically produces to get rid of nasty, potentially harmful environmental toxins, uh, and, and even to neutralize toxins, you know, like that your, that your body own makes that your own body makes in order to fend off, uh, various predators and, um, or, you know, or, or potentially harmful toxins and things like that. Uh, Did you see that article? that I sent to you, I think it was NPR where, um, some researchers based in like the dementia Alzheimer's area have the belief that maybe it is caused by like toxins and infectious diseases, like something like a herpes. There's speculation that, that the, the the beta and the tau tangles are a result of reacting to the infection on the body did you have you have you come across any information on that yourself yes so one of the main one of the main researchers who's who actually identified that um that phenomena is uh rudy tanzi and he's up at harvard and i've had him on my podcast uh the genius life and I think that um, so basically what they found is that amyloid seems to help uh, or at least attempting to neutralize uh, foreign invaders in the brain. So the herpes virus is one of them. What they found is that when herpes appears in the brain, it tends to be encapsulated by amyloid, which is this um, 
the plaque that we we've known for almost a, a century at this point aggregates and forms these like you know these visible plaques in the brain around neurons um, in patients with Alzheimer's disease. Uh, but actually, amyloid isn't exclusive to am- to Alzheimer's patients. We all generate it in our brains. Uh, we all, you know, by the time we're older, generally there's some degree of plaque accumulation. There's also plaque that forms in you know other neurodegenerative conditions. But the idea here is that. Amyloid is not necessarily a bad guy. It's there at the scene of the crime, and it probably is serving some evolutionarily um, important purpose. Right. You know, to serve you know in some way as a as a as a sort of immune function in the brain. Yeah, amyloid's um, like, bitch, don't come up in here and try and yeah. fuck up my house. Amyloid's yeah. like me when people come over, like, take your shoes off at the door, don't let your dog up on my furniture, and stop messing my shit up. <laughs> From now on, I'm, I'm going to have your voice now as like the voice of amyloid in my <laughs> in my brain. So thank you for that, Jess. Um, she's gangster. Amyloid is so gangster. Glutathione and amyloid. Yeah, they're yeah. Just like, we need to do like an animated series about all these little things and we can voice them. You have an amazing voice. You could definitely be glutathione like a superhero. You're like the superhero. So yeah. Um, yeah. Just before what? hopping on here, I had a, had a voice lesson, actually, so my voice is all like... Oh, you uh, could totally... I could see you being like a Disney prince or a villain. Either one. You teeter on wow. the line. Thanks so much for that, I think. <laughs> um, I want you to be a villain. I don't know why I want you to go... I think because it's like a dichotomy to your teaching and what you represent. I think it would be a fun little, I'm a down. little exercise for you. <laughs> I hope um, we've I've got some you. casting agents listening to this. Uh, yes. All my agents at CAA, please please <laughs> sign him up for the next animated series. Yes. Um, I heard you say um, our genes load the gun while our choices pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. What does that mean? So there are very few conditions uh, that people have that are actually determined by our genes, you know, at the population scale. A very small, you know, fewer than 10% of, uh, of, of illnesses that we're seeing today are genetically determined, determined by what are called deterministic genes. When it comes to conditions like cancer, Alzheimer's disease, heart disease, there's an influence that our environment has um, with our genes, with genetic risk factors that then determine whether or not we will develop this condition, whatever it happens to be. So Alzheimer's disease is the one that I'm the most well-versed in because that's the condition that I've, you know, studied for the past, you know, almost decade of my life. When it comes to Alzheimer's disease, there are, uh, there are many genes that influence, you know, one's risk. The most well-defined of them um, is the APOE4 allele that about one in four of us carry, one in four, one in five of us carry. Um, and that can influence your risk anywhere between two and 14 fold. Um, your relative risk. Now, again, this is not a deterministic gene. So if you are a carrier of one copy of the Alzheimer's risk gene, the APOE4 allele like I am, you know, you have an elevated risk compared to somebody who might not carry it. Uh, But that in no way is a sentence to go on and develop Alzheimer's disease. It's really ultimately about, you know, your choices. And I think that if you are genetically at risk, then it becomes all the more valuable for you to live a diet or live a lifestyle and consume a diet that's in accordance with what we know um, about, you know, risk reduction or, you know, what what some people have um, termed prevention, which I'm I'm happy to use that term. Um, Which may be difficult around this time of year. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the, and, and also prevention is not something it wasn't, you know, it, we, doctors and scientists didn't believe that Alzheimer's was a potentially preventable condition up until very, very early. I mean, only in, I believe, 2017 or 2018 that the Alzheimer's Association, which is sort of the largest and most well-known funding pipeline for pharmaceutical research, acknowledged that you can actually have an influence over your risk. Uh, so it's a very sort of new topic. Um, it is a very but new only, topic. Yeah, but only about two to three percent of Alzheimer's cases are uh, what Genelial. what are yeah. So early onset familial Alzheimer's disease. If you saw the movie Still Alice, um, yeah. Oh God, that, it broke that's, my heart. Of course. Well, that's what she Still had. Alice is so good. It's Still Alice is such a good depiction. Um, there's been a few movies that have tried to capture, it, and it's such a difficult disease to capture. But yeah, Still Alice was definitely one of those. Who, Renee Russo? Uh, that was uh, Julianne Moore. She's Julianne incredible. Moore. I always get those two confused. Amazing performance. Yeah, incredible. Um, but, you know, like th- that's uh, a rare, that's two to three percent of cases. It's the so vast rare. Major- yeah. The vast majority of people who know Alzheimer's disease because their grandparents may have had it um, or they're, you know, like in our case, you know, our, our parents have had, you know, some form of dementia. Um this is a condition for which you have some degree of say, and we don't know everything. We don't have all of the answers. I would never purport to have all the answers, but we do know that um, by eating and living in a way that fosters metabolic health, which is what we've been talking about since the beginning of this, uh, that you actually can dramatically um, uh, reduce your risk for developing Alzheimer's disease. There are so many ways to do that. And it, it, like you said, like the choice and the decision to, make the right decision for your brain. Are you familiar with Dr. Daniel Amen? Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a friend and colleague. I've had him on had, had him on my podcast. He he talks a lot about, you know, you have to ask yourself if what I'm doing right now is going to help or hurt my brain and and um you know, he seems very uh we were I had him on my podcast as well and you know, he spoke a lot about basically the choices you make and it's, it's difficult in this society, you know, it's a difficult thing. You know, I feel like a lot of people on one hand are like, well, my dad was this way. My mom was this way. So I'm going to be this way. It's, there's so much power you have within your own being to truly dictate what your health trajectory is going to be. You're not, you, you, don't think that you're a victim of what your parents went through or your grandparents. You know, it's there really is so much information and literature pointing towards the direction of a healthy life based off of your, you know, the ways that you live. Was there anything that you adjusted for your own personal health through the journey of your experience with your mom, with her Lou body dementia and, and pancreatic cran- cancer as well? Yeah. Yeah. What, what, I would did say, you change something? I would say um, in terms of my diet, uh, I definitely changed. So I, I became less reliant on eating grains, grain products and things like that. Right. Um, just really sort of low quality food. You know, I became hyper vigilant uh, in avoiding um, ultra processed foods to the best of my ability. And, you know, like I'm not uh, I don't pass judgment on people who consume them. You know, I certainly do still consume them, um, but I try to moderate my consumption of them. Food, packaged processed foods, foods that, you know, are shelf stable, comfort foods. We all 
you know, love to have comfort foods around, especially during stressful times. And we all know that, you know, the past year, if anything, you know, for, for all of us has been a stressful time. Um, and so, so Cheez-Its are bad, Max? You're going to well, tell me Cheez-Its are bad? You're going to be rude? I would say they're worth avoiding. I would say they're worth avoiding. But if they're your favorite thing in the world, they're then my have fucking them. Fucking favorite. Are they? Yeah. They're, they're, I don't eat. I don't eat packaged shit. But like, if if I see a bag of Cheez Its and I'm on the road, I'm like, well, I'm on the road. <laughs> yeah. The bag looks um, at me. I, you know, there's this like thing that happens, and it's it's a it's a pure love connection. Truly, I don't want you to be jealous because I kind of feel like you're you're getting jealous of the Cheez It bag. <laughs> but I'm just letting you know, I do love some Cheez Its. This is you, you seduce, you're just seducing one another. I'm just in the aisle at some, you know, gas and go making eyes at a bag of Cheez-Its. And I know I'm not the only one. Okay. And that's where I hear Daniel Amen going, is this good for my brain? Yes or no? The answer is so loud. No. I don't know how to just leave it there sometimes. Well, I mean, the reality is in moderation of food like that actually would not, you know, like single foods are not necessarily good or bad for the brain. It's about the dietary pattern as a whole. Okay. And that's where I think sometimes, um, you know, diet culture on social media can be a little bit misleading, you know, like that bag of cheese. Yeah, it can be very dramatic, right? That bag of cheese, it's although, you know, like, it's not the healthiest food in isolation. If that's all that you're eating in terms of a diet that is, you know, in the overall sense, very nutrient dense um, and, you know, rich in healthy fats and ample protein and, you know, phytonutrients from whole plants. And then you're eating that bag of, of Cheez-Its, you know, so we'll just right? assume that it's a smaller bag. Even if you have that's that so once bad. a day, if that's your one treat, then that's okay. In the context of a diet, that's like you're doing everything else right. right? So I think it's important. Yeah. Exactly. So bad. So it's, just a bag of no. cheese. It's a bottle of wine, a couple blunts, cheeseburger, and a pizza. <laughs> That's not go. so bad, guys. Uh, we're doing good. <laughs> now we're pushing it. Now we're pushing grief it, eating. But... <laughs> grief eating. Let me have my moment. <laughs> did you? How did you fall off the wagon during grieving and going through that process? What What did you do that was destructive? Hmm. Well, so I have this term uh, when I find a bag of something that I really like, um, <laughs> which I'm sure you can relate to. I call it whole bagging. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's very, uh, very whole bagging is something different where I'm from. But yeah, I'm, I'm into <laughs> whole bagging. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, you're um, a whole bagger. Yeah. You're a whole bagger. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a real so I mean, thing. We'll take Cheetos or Cheez-Its or whatever. I, you know, for me, it's like uh, I found this brand of um, no affiliation with them, but there's a, a brand called Quinn and they create these pretzels that are like paleo approved, like whatever the marketing is. But they're they're grain free pretzels. They're really, really freaking delicious and addictive. Um, and I basically I'll open up the bag and I try to just have like a handful, but that never ends up happening. I end up whole bagging, <laughs> um, eating, just going through the whole you could also, Wouldn't you know, it be also- great? I have a fantasy of you being this like very healthy, you know, you've done TED Talks, you've got your podcast, Genius Foods, Genius Life. I just, I love this fantasy of you whole bagging in your closet. Like that's your main day is you just shoveling food in your face and then you go out and you're like, guys, kale, okay? We yeah. have kale. <laughs> I, I walk the walk. I like, I practice what I preach and I don't, that's why I'm not, you know, I'm like not judgmental. You know, I'm, there's no dogma in terms of what I pre- 
you know, no, you're, you're very realistic. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm human and I'm, you know, like I'm not, uh, one of these Instagrammers that's like every photo with their shirt off and it's like 12 pack. Like I don't have that, you know, like I'm like doing the best I can. That in 2021 though. Is that something Maybe. that's in 2021? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe a lot of these Instagrammers that like look jacked all the time, they're injecting things. They're on all kinds of like crazy. So they're, and they become obsessed with their food, like food obsession. I'm not food obsessed. I'm very interested, like, and I'm passionate about food and nutrition. Yeah. You're curious. You're food curious. Yeah. 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 I'm food curious. Exactly. Curiosity is what, you know, creates conversation and also pathways to living a healthy life. And I think when you remain curious, you allow yourself to dip your toe in a bag of Cheez-Its or to whole bag a Quinn pretzel in your closet, like whatever it is. Yeah. I think having that approach is so, so healthy. What, um, so on the other coin, what are, some of your favorite swaps because i know you talk a lot about healthy swaps which i love on your page like if you like this here's a healthier version but what is max what are your favorite swaps so i've swapped um a lot you know much if not all of the green product in my life for um vegetables you know so like instead of like I used to be big on brown rice. I used to eat brown rice you know, almost with every every meal. And instead of that, now I opt for fibrous veggies. So dark leafy greens, you know, I'll try to have a big fatty salad every day, you know, a salad with lots of extra virgin olive oil. Yeah. Research actually out of Rush University shows us that people who do this have a big salad every day, have brains that perform up to 11 years younger. Um, so Damn. this is a really sort of, yeah, it's a very helpful. That's a huge number. Yeah, um, more than a decade. So um, I'm on 15? Yeah, mentally. Excuse <laughs> mentally, me. But I have to go, not Max. I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> probably not a surprise to, me, to many of your listeners. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm kidding. But no, it's very helpful. Very helpful. Uh, I Were think you a bread eater? Are you a bread eater? I was a big bread eater. <sighs> Tell me big what's bread. the truth about bread, man. So Son bread, of a bitch. Bread is an ultra processed food. It's a, you know, commercial bread is loaded with, it's actually one of the top sources of dietary sodium in the U.S., bread and rolls. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that sodium is necessarily a bad thing. It's an important, you know, mineral. Uh, but, you know, by and large, Americans consume a ton of it from processed foods. It's also, you know, a, a very reliable source of processed grains, which, you know, send your blood sugar through the roof typically um, and provide very little nutritional value other than the synthetic vitamins and minerals that are that, you know, wheat is usually um, in the modern world fortified with. But it's it's not really a high quality food. Um, um, Max, um, happiness is quality. OK, when I eat a whole pizza, I feel so happy. Yeah, it's. A little bit of bread here and there. Many people have problems with, you know, digesting gluten. Um, I've I'm not come a big... across that recently. Yeah. It gives me uh, headaches. So... It makes me like cloudy. And is that is that a real thing or am I imagining that? Well, it depends on who you ask. So, I mean, there is, there is non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Uh, so celiac is a condition. Celiac disease affects about 2% of the U.S. population. Um, and for people with celiac disease, they whenever they consume gluten-containing grains, they mount a violent uh, gastrointestinal attack against this protein that the body senses um, as being a foreign invader. Um, but when you're, but no human being can properly digest uh, gluten, which breaks down into two peptides, um, which are not ever properly assimilated in the body. I've re interviewed uh, numerous times um, one of the leading researchers in this topic, uh, Dr. Alessio Fasano over at Harvard, 
And some people can uh, manifest purely extra intestinally symptoms to celiac, to gluten sensitivity when they consume gluten. So these are not necessarily symptoms that you're going to be uh, able to perceive with unmistakable certainty like you do a stomach ache. You know, they might right. experience brain fog. They might experience, um, you know, anxiety and things like that. There's not a ton of research on this, um, you know, in, in, in humans, but, um, but it's, it's one of those things that, you know, my own personal view on gluten is that if you're not overtly sensitive to it and you're not celiac, then, you know, I think a little bit here and there is probably totally fine. It's sort of like a dose makes the poison thing. But unfortunately today, um, so many people have, uh, just they're eating gluten around the clock at every meal, whether it's sandwiches or wraps or wheat snacks or things like that. So people are eating it around the clock and, and sort of on a background of widespread immune dysfunction, because so many right. of us, you know, were spoon fed antibiotics growing up were you know, cereal. born via cereal, not, you know, not appropriately breastfed or born via C-section or, you know, there's any number of left of at a Macy's why. for a couple hours. I mean, there's left a lot at a of Macy's things. for a couple of hours. Yeah, so sort of in that context, we're seeing gluten, which is a protein that can, in a certain, you know, in a certain person, certain type of person, instigate, you know, autoimmunity or or sort of immune confusion. Um, you know, in this in this context of widespread immune dysfunction. So for me, I think that it's one of these things that that you're probably worth, you know, minimizing in your diet. Uh, I personally avoid it and I'm not celiac. And what about, okay, that's fair, minimizing it. What about bread? Like I'm from upstate New York, Syracuse, New York is where I'm from and it's where I'm currently at for the holidays. There's a bakery called Columbus Bakery owned by a bunch of Greeks. It's Italian bread that they make. It is the greatest when i say the greatest bread i'm not being like regionally uh you know specific and being like this is my town or it's my fucking bread or you guys it's the best <laughs> i'm telling you it is the greatest bread and they only use they don't use any preservatives because the bread goes bad in like a day like it's hard hmm. as a rock in like two days is there is that like a healthier bread or is it still fucking gluten well, uh, I think sourdough is a is a is a decent you know alternative for people that still want to have their their cake and eat it too. Right. Um, you know, a lot of people anecdotally will report that when they're in Europe, um, if they do have symptoms associated with gluten sensitivity in the U.S., they tend to not experience those symptoms um, when they're in I've Europe. Heard that, especially in Italy, I, you know, it's all bread there. Yeah, I I do eat like breads with more nutrient dense flours. So there's a bakery that uh, I've become sort of friendly with. I have no no commercial affiliation with them, no financial affiliation with them, but they're called Misfits Bakehouse. They're at misfits.kitchen and they make all kinds of grain free um, bread like products. Misfits in, in Santa Monica? They are, I don't know, I'm not familiar with the Misfits okay, in Santa Monica. there's a delicious called, restaurant in there? Santa Monica called Misfits. So oh, good. I do know that. Yes, I yep. do. I'm, yeah, yeah, No, no relation to them. It's called Misfits Bakehouse, and they, they make like focaccia, and they make baklava, they make all kinds of like really delicious things. With, 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 um, with like what? Sor, sor, what is that? Sorum? Go, what is like the healthy? Sorghum. sorghum? Yeah, sorghum is like a, yeah. They use, Animal no, they ramps. use a combination they use um, almond flour and coconut flour. So almonds are, you know, very nutrient nutrient dense nuts. Obviously, rich in magnesium, um, fiber, 
uh, vitamin E. So, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of almonds, actually. I consider them to be like a genius food. And so the breads, yeah, the breads are made of almonds. I hold back You hold back almonds. Yeah. You hold back nuts. Wow. This, this conversation is going south I'm real so fast. Sorry. <laughs> You're going to be like such it, a delight for my listeners. They're used to my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's, it's amazing. And I mean um, food. You know, I'm talking about almonds. Of course. We love nuts. <laughs> we love, love them. Um, I just know this is going to be the clip that my assistant cuts. It's just <laughs> going to be you and I talking about whole bag of nuts. Whole bag <gasps> of nuts. But nuts are good for you. They're genius food. They're good for your brain. They, you yes. know, cons- consumption of nuts related to reduced uh, early mortality, a, a reduced risk for a number of, of different conditions. Um, heart disease being, you know, one of the most familiar. Um, so, yeah, have at it. Have at your what nuts. What are some... <laughs> Go what to would town. you say are for listeners? We were talking about supplements earlier. What are a few supplements they should take every day? And is it a male versus female thing, or for just maybe for everybody? What what is something everybody can take every day? Well, it's a difficult question to answer without knowing the, the individual because it's you know I, I I don't really prescribe to a one size fits all approach, but I would say generally when looking statistically, most people would benefit from. I mean, a vitamin D3 supplement these days. I mean, many people are, are deficient in vitamin D. I, I believe uh, it's something like three quarters of the population, um, you know, is in, has inadequate levels or insufficient levels of vitamin D. Magnesium is something that I think is pretty important. Uh, you know, magnesium is a mineral that um, is required for hundreds of enzymatic processes in the body that range from creating energy to uh, DNA repair. Which is um, huge for like maintaining a youthful, not just appearance, but, you know, talking everything. about like maintaining like a healthy brain. Oh, everything. I mean, DNA damage, you know, like just an, an, an insidious accumulation of DNA damage is one of the, you know, theories as to why we age and become yeah. decrepit and ultimately die. So, like, you aging know, is a disease. Yeah. So, I mean, I think magnesium is actually one of the most anti-aging supplements that, that a person can take. Really? I didn't, I wouldn't have, well, I don't know, because this is your, your field of expertise. I wouldn't have known that magnesium is an anti-aging supplement. So that's good to know. I'm literally going to yeah. shoot it into my arm tonight. I, I personally, I mean, I eat a pretty nutrient rich diet and magnesium is one of the supplements that I take uh, regularly. So I take a good magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Uh, okay, let's do that. So what does Max take? You take a magnesium glycinate. So I take magnesium glycinate. I take uh, fish oil um, pretty regularly every day. I take... Uh, glutathione? Do I, I don't that? take glutathione. No, because your your own body makes it. So as long That's as you're right. eating... You don't need to fucking take it. It's gangster. It's as long there. as you're eating foods like dark leafy greens, uh, grass-fed beef, eggs, things like that, you're giving your body all of the... Um, like raw materials that it requires to create glutathione, which again is this master detoxifier. So that's why foods like cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, and then grass-fed beef, eggs, things like that, they're all foods that I would consider to be detoxifying foods, not because they they actually detoxify you, but because they basically give your body the raw materials that it requires to create its own detox compounds while also like stimulating them as well. Like, right. which is the case for like uh, cruciferous vegetables and things like that. I've started to think of eating. Now, I love to eat healthy. It's I joke about cheese, it's and everything, but 
I eat, like you were saying, higher quality things. I've learned to swap out the lower quality stuff for higher quality things. But I also believe in your body sort of kind of speaking to you about what you need. But I've also thought about how food essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe it's just an opinion. Food is like, it's like a communication system for your body. It's Mm -hmm. It's information. It's delivering information to your body. Like all of these, all of these nutrients are telling your body where it needs to implement it. And if there's an ailment that that specific nutrient is needed, it'll deliver it to that specific area. Isn't that sort of like how our bodies work? Like it's, our bodies are pretty fucking smart. We're the ones that fuck it up. Oh, (laughs) we're the ones that like interrupt the system. (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. That's why when it comes to like dietary fats and oils, you know, I have this this saying that I that I like to use that that nature doesn't create unhealthy fats. People do. Yes. Nature doesn't really create unhealthy foods. People do. You right. know, so if you take a natural food, you know, found around the perimeter of your supermarket, which is where all the natural, you know, and I use air quotes for natural um, because, you know, it's not that Companies I'm like use that word to get you to buy it. And it's like natural yeah. flavors. You're like, that could be a thousand chemicals right there. in that one little yeah. drop. I mean, yeah, every everything's a chemical. But at the end of the day, like the perishable fresh foods that are that are that that usually are to be found around the perimeter of a supermarket, those are the best for you. And people like to argue about, oh, saturated fats unhealthy, dietary cholesterol is unhealthy. If, you know, they're found in foods like grass-fed beef or eggs, which are, you know, eggs, for example, nature's one of nature's multivitamins. Yep. Um, you know, we don't need to worry my about Aunt Betsy those. grows it's- her own, she has her own chicken. She just brought eggs over. Eggs, this is my Aunt Betsy. Listen, if you have an uncle who's available, she's single. She brought over eggs. Bee, honey, because she has bees. She makes her own kombucha and her own fire cider. Sounds like a keeper. Yeah, she's a keeper. So if you have like a hippie uncle who's looking for a little bit of fun, Aunt Betsy's available. Sorry, Aunt Betsy. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) That's good to know. Very good to know. Uh, I'll keep her in mind. On Betsy, but um, but generally, then then you look at man-made creations like what are in the aisles of the supermarkets. You know, all the packaged, processed foods, all the fake, you know, industrially refined oils like canola oil, corn oil, grapeseed oil. Those are worth avoiding because those are you know, trash. Corn, grapeseed, grapeseed, soybean oil, vegetable oil, which is usually just soybean oil. Do you, know uh, you want to avoid are those? Pouring this over their food, absolutely oh, yeah. pouring it's it over worse. the food. So, what are the oils you recommend? Coconut. Extra virgin? I don't actually recommend coconut oil. I recommend because coconut oil is one of these oils that, um, depending on genes, so this is where sort of genes come into play. You know, coconut oil is one of these tropical fats that um, that only a very specific genetic background may have evolved, you know, having exposure to over a multi-generational period. Um so, you know, I think some people are, you know, do really well when consuming lots of coconut oil, but generally that's not the, a kind of oil that I would recommend publicly that people should start, you know, adding into their diet. That's an um, interesting. Uh, that's smart because if, if you're not and if your ancestors were eating it, that's one thing. But if you yourself didn't grow up in that environment, you might not have the physiological tools yeah, you, to process that. Yeah. Yeah, you might be you might over respond to that quantity of saturated fat and see, right. uh, 
you know, sort of an aberration in your in your lipid profile, for example, which, you know, I'm not one of these like, oh, my God, we have to be afraid of, you know, LDL cholesterol or anything like that. But, you know, if a food is causing if a specific food is causing a dramatic change in your lipids, then that's worth paying attention to. Yeah. Um, and so on the other hand, extra virgin olive oil. Um, and close second place would be avocado oil. These are fats that I think the vast majority of people can actually include um, and should include in their diets uh, and see um, an improvement in things, in both the way their brains function, in their lipid profile, in their metabolic health. Uh, so that's why like, I'm very uh, bullish on, on extra virgin olive oil. I think most people should actually get rid of all the crap oils in their kitchens and bring yeah. on like a really good extra virgin olive oil and use that as the primary oil Solely. in their cooking, yeah, as a sauce on their food, as a dressing. Extra virgin olive oil really is almost like medicinal in terms of its health benefits. Look at Max Lugavere dropping some oil knowledge on this podcast. Y'all get rid of your shit oil. Okay, get rid of your Crisco, <laughs> your stupid vegetable oil that, well, let's be real, can run a, literally run a car. You're probably, your old, that old Toyota Corolla from 1980 in your garage is going to power up with that shitty ass oil. <laughs> thousand percent. I wish I could say it as bluntly as you, but I would probably <laughs> That's my know. charm, my, my blunt <laughs> approach to how I speak. Um, now, before we go, I do want to ask a couple of things. One, is there is there a way to eat to sort of help grief help the process of grief be a little bit healthier is there you know cuz it, it for me I'll talk to you I'll speak personally I have I'm not I don't really have like a sweet tooth but during this you know this month but this is the 6 week that my mom's been gone I find myself wanting sweets and craving sweets and I've never really been like that before and also wanting tequila every night um how do you how do you balance that like is there is there a way to eat healthy through this grieving process or are there concessions to be made i think that you have to um be ultimately kind to yourself um and to be uh, gentle with the language that you use towards yourself and to realize that you're going through a period which will pass, um, but to not try to um, take shortcuts through the grief. Right. You know? Um, you know, grief is one of those things where the only way out is through, unfortunately. Yeah, you got to feel it to heal it. You got to feel it to heal it. And, uh, and we're all going to reach for food that comfort us during during that time, and that's okay. You know, I, I have a friend. Um, her name is Taryn. She had breast cancer recently, and she put something on her social media that uh, that was, I think, re- a really great way to phrase it. You should you, you should talk to yourself like you would talk to a child. You know, yeah. as kind and as lovingly and as warmly as you would talk to a twelve year old. You know, like ima- imagine trying to teach a 12 year old something you wouldn't and, and and they they make a mistake. You wouldn't scold them. No. When we make mistakes, we tend to scold ourselves. You know, we tend to feel we're so hard on our, ourselves. Yeah, we're so hard on ourselves. But you I think all the time um, we'd be we we you know, most of us, all of us, you know, would be very well suited to to start talking to ourselves more as, you know, 
as the children we are within, that we all still are, you know, even though our exteriors get older. Um, so to be kind to yourself, you know, to to and and being kind to yourself sometimes means, you know, not overindulging, you know, right. getting to the exercise, continue to do the things that, you know, make you feel good and are going to be good decisions for you in the long term, you know, so to keep the long term you know, even when you're going through this grief and you feel like you can't even get out of bed sometimes, you know, to, to keep your eye on the, on the long-term prize, to know that you're going to get through this and that ultimately um, you're going to want to be and feel healthy and to not go through, you know, to do what you can to maybe be a little bit better off, you know, like then, uh, then your loved one, you know, somehow yeah. if we have, if we have any control over the kinds of conditions that we're, that we're talking about, you know, depending on what, what condition it is. It is important to realize that grieving is a healing process and that through this process, self-care is vital. And like you, I do, I work out every day and journal and meditate and all of those things. So, you know, I'm not, I used to be a little bit of a drinker, not anymore, but then this process of, I have a couple tequilas at night, (laughs) I'm not getting sloshed drunk, but even a couple tequilas for me is like a lot, but I'm also, I haven't felt guilty about it. I just, I have a very, I think a pretty healthy outlook. I know a lot of people struggle with guilt and talking to themselves in a negative way. So I think that's a really important um, statement that people need to hear is to be kind to yourself and to talk to yourself like you were talking to a child because we all still are a child. We're just, our vessel has aged a bit, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. What would you say before I let you go and whole bag it? (laughs) (laughs) What would you say grief has taught you? What was the greatest lesson you learned through grieving? I mean, you know, at risk of sounding cliche, that time really is the only, um, you really like time heals all things. Uh, and you know, the pain gets, you know, it's always going to be there. You're always going to, you know, experience like little moments that kind of like poke at the sensitivity, you know, and, and, and remind you of what, what that loss, uh, felt like at the at the very beginning at the at the very beginning it's just everything is so sensitive and um and 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 painful and raw and real but over time i think it gets i mean it gets better and time is really the only thing that can do that you know you just kind of have to continue to to treat yourself well and 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 to allow yourself to experience you know every feeling that you feel is valid um you know uh, at, at that's any really time. important. Yeah. Every feeling you feel is valid. That is that's such an important statement for people to hear. Yeah, every feeling um, that you feel at any time is valid, right? Um, and and we we should acknowledge those feelings and and allow ourselves to feel them as opposed to you know trying to numb them, um, you know with whatever it may be, food or alcohol or drugs or pharmaceuticals or, you know, even Big fat blunts <laughs> right, right on the windowsill. Cause I'm the aunt and I have to put it up high so the kids can't get it. <laughs> I literally, I'm looking at the joint. It's up on the windowsill. <laughs> oh, man. Now, um, yeah. What, what last thing I want to ask you 
what's a word of advice for people dealing with someone they love who has a form of dementia, Alzheimer's, Lou Bodies, Parkinson's? What what's a word of advice for people going through that process? Do you, I mean, show, show as much love as you can, uh, to both your loved one, um, as well as yourself, um, you know, try to, you know, do what you can to, um, you know, to do your own research, to inform yourself, to arm yourself with knowledge, uh, and, and then teach that knowledge, but, but to teach gently, you know, that's something that I learned with my mom when I started doing, you know, all this research into diet and brain health, um, you know, I felt very compelled, you know, to try to uproot everything in, in my mom's life and to put her on the max mm-hmm. diet, you know, before I had written my books and to, you know, to do whatever I could to try to get her to adhere to, you know, my version of what I had ascertained to be the brain healthiest diet, you know, and I would certainly do that for myself, you know, but ultimately people live the way that they want to live and they should be free to live the the way that they want to live. Um, and, and you don't want your, uh, you know, your perspective on how they, how another person should live to interfere with the relationship that you have with that person. You know, for example, you know, if you take away from this podcast that you shouldn't be drinking orange juice and you have a loved one with some kind of dementia and you see them drinking orange juice, you don't want to get mad at them for drinking orange juice. You don't want to scold them. You don't want them to feel guilt or shame when they choose to enjoy a cup of orange juice when, you know, when quality of life generally for somebody with dementia becomes so diminished. So to kind of, you know, to take all this information and to to arm yourself with as much information as possible, but to not be, to not become like a zealot about it, you know, uh, to not let it affect your relationship and ultimately to teach, you know, as best you can, but to do it gently and to acknowledge, to to know that people are going to live the way that they want to live. And that's fine. You know, you just kind of have to let them. You know, well, if you, can, you guys, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, you ch- change your own life, do what you want, you know, with your with your own life. But when it comes to like with other people, that's something that I learned with my mom early on. You know, like I would, I would try to keep the the cookies and the things like that that I know that would bring my mom joy out of her house uh, for a little while. And I realized that that wasn't that wasn't the best way to do it. My mom would have the cookie. She would end up <laughs> having the cookie, you know, and uh, and she would feel like she. There was a period where she felt like she, a very small window where she felt like, you know, she needed to like hide it from me. And then when I saw that, I realized, okay, I don't want my mom hiding anything from me, you know, like, or feeling guilt or shame about anything that she wants to do. Um, so I, I completely backed off, took my foot off the gas. And that was a profound learning experience for me, you know? Yeah, to sort of, you know, try and find a balance between taking care of yourself and taking care of them while not going crazy in the process. It's, exactly. it's, it's, it's definitely a balance and there's no perfect way to do it. But you guys, I encourage you, I implore you to please check out Max's page. 
it's endless information and entertaining and he's going to have shirtless posts in 2021 which he promised here on this podcast that's legally it's legally binding um (laughs) check out his book genius foods also the genius life and what else would you like to promote anything tell my my listeners where they can find you where they can eat you up max yeah that's it i mean you you know my instagram at max lugavere l-u-g-a-v-e-r-e and then i have if you listen if you like listening to podcasts which i'm assuming you do i have my own podcast it's also called the genius life so check that out and it's Lugavere, please. Lugavere, yes. Okay, Thank Lugavere. You. Thank you so much. <laughs>